Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, the Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. Uh, we are very excited and happy to have uh, Tim Cook and Ron Fussell from Creighton University with us today. Uh, they have a session that they've presented at CLS on uh, their research study on the superintendency uh, in Catholic education. And they're here to talk about their findings and, um, and give us some background on the study. So first, Tim and Ron, welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. Good. Uh, so looking forward to this. So, so Tim, why don't we start off with you about this study, uh, talk a little bit about the study and, uh, and how it came to be that you felt um, it was necessary and needed for Catholic education. Thanks, Kevin. Our study is specifically about attrition and retention of Catholic school superintendents. And uh, we know in leadership that rapid turnover is never good. And if you look at public education, you might be surprised to hear that the average tenure of a public school superintendent is 3.2 years. And we were wondering about the Catholic school superintendency, and we've been wanting to study this for a few years, and we have some hunches. But then there, there was one year, uh, maybe three or four years ago, where there were a number of prominent superintendents stepping away. So we decided to move this up to our agenda. And about the only thing that's out there right now is a, a good study on the, it's called the Deals Study, published by NCEA, which is a national profile of superintendents. And even in that study, which last was done in 2015, said since the 2009 survey, about 50%, uh, there was a difference in 50% of the superintendents who filled out the 2009 and 2015. So we decided to move this up, get the study going. And um, just in terms of our interviewees, we, we chose the window of 2016 to 19, uh, and we could get names out of the directory. We decided on 10 people. And we, we were intentional about getting a diversity even within the 10. So geographic diversity, uh, size of diocese, uh, gender. And we, ha we actually have five females and five males. And all of the people we approached were really, really interested in participating. And, and out of the ones we asked, only one opted out. And uh, we interviewed people with a preset set of 11 questions. And then we have two research questions and that's, that's where I'll end. So we boiled down our research study to two questions. Are qualified superintendents leaving their positions earlier than anticipated? If that's the case, why are they leaving? What are the reasons? And then the second question was, if this is true, then what changes can be made to improve retention of effective superintendents? That's great. We'll go to Ron with the findings in just a second. But um, point of clarification, not clarification, just a question, Tim. You said in the deal study, you found that the turnover was 50% in about six years, if I heard you right, from 2009 to 2015. 
And so the the what you were finding or what you were looking at from 2016 to 2019 wasn't a new pattern. It was something you think was probably existing for quite some time or for at least for a little bit of time. Yes, I think uh, the reason why we chose that time to do our study was because that that particular year or two, it just seemed like it was speeding up. So we wanted to, and with very effective, prominent, well-known people. So it wasn't really a new trend, but we wanted to know the reasons why. That's great. Thanks. So, Ron, um, how about some findings? What did you uh, what did you find uh, with uh, with your research? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Kevin. Um, and uh, sure, we found um, a, a number of um, interesting points. Some of them kind of confirmed our our hunches and were what we expected. And then we found some some interesting points that um, were, were not points that we were expecting to hear. But the first thing we set out to to understand was whether or not Catholic school superintendents are leaving the position earlier than they anticipated. So we asked our participants, um, how long did you anticipate being in the position when you took the job and how many uh, months or years were you actually there? And it's a difference of about uh, two years. So um, the, on average, our participants anticipated 8.2 years. And in actuality, it was about six, just over six, hair over six. Um, and we had nine out of 10 explicitly tell us that they they left early. Um, so, so that was a very prevalent theme. And many said that it was prior to them achieving their goals and some goals that, that uh, resonated and were common among uh, many of our participants were things like enrollment improvement, or opening new schools, these kinds of broad um, systemic change. And um, they, they were not able to, to uh, complete those goals and um, for a number of reasons that we cover in the study. Um, we also found that uh, although there were positive dimensions to superintendent departures, uh, there were some um, negative themes as well. And um, one of the uh, points that I would make is that the superintendents with whom we spoke really enjoyed the interpersonal dimension of the work. And they spoke very positively about their relationships with principals in their diocese and archdiocese, uh, fellow uh, teachers, board members, donors, parents, other stakeholders. Um, but there were also negative factors and, and those negative factors too were also interpersonally um, related um, internally uh, within the chancery in many cases. So when we asked um, our participants to talk a little bit more about that, uh, they used words like bitter or frustrated or cynical to talk about how they uh, left their positions. So even though they left of their own free will, we made a, a strong effort to identify participants who um, you know, where it was that it was their choice to leave. Um, they they use those critical words to describe the process of leaving. Um, so, with that said, um, we were really interested in knowing what some of these drivers were of their departure. So, um, we asked our participants about those. You know, what what did you enjoy the most? What do you miss the most? Um, uh, so that we can get a handle of what was leading them out of the uh, positions. 
And in, in many cases, probably the most prevalent theme that we, we identified was um, difficulties within the chancery, communication issues, bureaucracy, understanding reporting lines, um, scope of authority, feelings of being an outsider. Some of the quotes from our participants, and I, I just pulled them as we prepared for this uh, podcast. Uh, we have one participant say that there's just a whole lot of layers of extra stuff that are involved in a diocese like this. We had another one say that I don't miss politics in the in-depth or and the in-depth nasty way they play out in the chancery. This isn't the first chancery I've worked in, so I understand chancery politics, and this is the nastiest place. So, and, and that's not to say that all chanceries are, are nasty places. I worked in a chancery prior to being a um, professor at Creighton that uh, was a great place to work. Um, but uh, we think it's important to identify these themes because they, they were so prevalent among so many of our participants. Um, another uh, point that uh, our participants brought up was just the idea of uh, authority and support for that authority um, from the archbishop. So uh, particularly in private settings versus public settings. And we, we heard about um, uh, archbishops or bishops that would um, or reported to us that they would would give a go-ahead or, or authority for a superintendent to complete some kind of project, but then when interpersonal conflict came into play or um, there, there was that, that mediation role and, and the, the archbishop would step away uh, and, and left the superintendent in a, a difficult position. So that was a theme that was reported to us uh, quite frequently. Workload was a consistent theme. Uh, so we heard about things like 80-hour work weeks, um, superintendents who are parents of small children um, not having the opportunity to see their kids grow up. Uh, things like that were, um, were prevalent among uh, the, the participants in the interviews. Uh, and then finally, we had some um, participants state that their salary and benefits weren't competitive, and that was uh, something that led them out. But we also had others that said that um, their salary and benefits were, were fair. So some inconsistent findings there, but certainly worth mentioning. Uh, and then just a, a couple of other quick things. Um, we, we were really interested in knowing what are the things that could, could be done to increase um, tenure. So what, what could have happened that would have made you stay longer is basically what we asked the uh, participants. Um, so uh, things like job descriptions. We had 50% of our participants, half of them, um, said that they didn't have a job description or that it was just the um, listing that uh, they put in the, you know, the job boards or whatever, um, or in the recruitment materials for the position when they were hiring for the position, that that was actually the job description. And a lot of times that's not necessarily the case. Those aren't, those aren't the same um, types of documents. So um, job descriptions are helpful in other ways when, and we'll, we can get to that if we talk about our recommendations. Um, performance review uh, was another thing that came up. We learned that uh, about 50% or half of our participants did not have any regular or ongoing or meaningful performance review in the chancery. Um, they described, described processes that were pro forma or letters that would just show up in their personnel file or um, scenarios where what they encountered was inconsistent with other um, senior members of the chancery administration with how they were they were um, 
held accountable through performance review. So um, we have recommendations with uh, regard to performance review as well. And then um, uh, 80%, so eight out of 10 of our participants reported that they had little to no access to induction or mentoring. And kind of the common scenario was, here's a binder with all of the human resources materials um, that you get on the first uh, couple days of the job and you have time to go through the binder and, and that's it. Um, so uh, we have recommendations that have to do with more meaningful, ongoing um, induction and orientation to the culture of working in the chancery. And then Tim had a couple other points that I think he wanted to make about um, findings with regard to faith and the, the role of women in the chancery. That's great. Uh, we'll go to Tim in just a, a second. You, you mentioned, um, and Tim might have mentioned this, but the diversity as far as geography, I assume diversity, large dioceses, small dioceses. Um, and so some of the findings you were talking about, Ron, in terms of the frustration and the cynicism or, or maybe how bishops or how their interactions are, private versus public, did you suss out anything specific with any of those geographic realities or size realities, or you pretty much found that across the board? Well, we with um, the size of the diocese of the archdiocese, um, sure, I think that the, the larger, more complex institutions, um, like if it's an archdiocese of a large urban area, had extra layers of bureaucracy that the um, participants reported having difficulty uh, navigating and they came up with, you know, mentioned creative ways that they would try to find access with um, with the archbishop. Um, so I, I don't I wouldn't say that they were as prevalent in smaller dioceses uh, where where maybe the organizational system and strata was more um, streamlined. Great. Thanks. So, Tim, um, what were some surprises uh, that you found in the findings? Well, I, I found three that I were particularly interested in. The first one piggybacks on some stuff that Ron was talking about. And when he was talking about compensation and well-staffed offices, I thought uh, poor compensation and poorly staffed offices would have been prevalent across the board, and it really wasn't. Uh, not to say that that's not an issue of concern, but I just thought it would come up more regularly than it did, because only three of the 10 said comp compensation was not competitive. Um, and then four of the 10 said they would like the archbishop to have more staffing in the office. But there were plenty of offices where the the uh, superintendent said they were well staffed. Uh, so that was very curious. I was really curious about that. And it was better if the superintendent, you know, if the, the diocese could not fund the office fully or to the, you know, to the level that the superintendent thought it should be staffed. Uh, some superintendents were able to raise money to hire staff, but others were not. And that was certainly a point of contention. The second thing, and that, that was a minor surprise to me, uh, the second one is really the biggest surprise, and that was in the area of faith. Um, seven out of the 10 of the superintendents we interviewed said that the job was so challenging that it brought on a faith crisis. 
And to be honest, I was really shocked by that because I had just never considered that. Uh, here are a couple of quotes. The politics made it so difficult that it sucked the soul right out of me. And I got to the point where if I stay, I will no longer keep my faith. Um, that particular superintendent was in tears when, um, you know, these words were being said. And then the second, another person said, there's nothing, and this was a prevalent theme. There's nothing that challenges one's faith more than working for the church. So that, that to me is really curious. And then I'll just finish it up and um, we can go from there. But we kind of teased out the women's perspective. We didn't go into the study with that intent, but as we were interviewing people, it kind of came up because five of the interviewees were women, but it wasn't uniform that it was a big issue. I mean, a couple of women superintendents said, uh, being a woman was not a problem. They didn't feel undervalued. Um, but one person said there has been a decline of women in the superintendency in the last few years. That could be because uh, women religious are not as much in the positions as they once were. But one of the recurring themes in terms of women, and we know that women leadership in the church is uh, an issue and a pressing need. But two things were said, I think, that were interesting. A couple of people said men's opinions were valued over women, and several talked about a boys' club. So I just think that as we move forward, uh, we would need to pay special attention to the needs of women preparing, retaining, and recruiting women for leadership. That's uh, very interesting. Um, I'm wondering, and this allows you to speculate, so if you don't want to answer, Tim, maybe <laughs> you can defer. But I'm curious if you feel like the church's structure, uh, which is a, uh, it's a male clergy, um, would that add to that? Uh, I guess a better way to ask it is if you were doing this for public school superintendents, would you suspect you'd see hear similar things from women, or do you think that's something maybe somewhat uniquely applied because it's uh, the Catholic Church? Well, my specul it's it's an interesting question about the public school sector. I would I would suspect that you would get some of the same responses, frankly. But I I would like to know the percentage of women in public school leadership in the superintendency. And has that gone up or gone down? Uh, the same with the Catholic school superintendency. Uh, one person said it has gone down, but I don't have those exact statistics. But we do know, Kevin, that in the church, it is male-dominated, and it is something that we need to pay attention to church-wide. Absolutely. Um... So let's talk about some of the recommendations uh, that come out of this based on your findings. Um, Ron, do you want to start with uh, maybe a recommendation that you'd like to, to share? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Kevin. Um, so uh, we divided our recommendations into kind of two general areas. And the first had to do with what we might be able to change in the chancery to be able to um, uh, lead to some kind of improvement in the areas that we talked about. So one of those areas um, had to do with um, 
the accuracy of the job description. A lot, a lot of the difficulty that our participants had was just understanding lines of authority, um, not just on paper, but, but in how um, it's actually lived in the chancery. So um, having a, an accurate job description on paper and in practice um, leads to those clear lines of authority, those clear reporting lines, so that superintendents are clear on what it is that they are responsible for, the in extent of their sphere of responsibility and how they can lead within the context of it all. Um, and related to that had to do with the, the goal setting piece that I, or the, the performance review piece that I, I mentioned earlier. And an interesting point with the, the performance review piece is that um, we're not recommending that um, there's any kind of full-blown process uh, with performance review. What, rather, what we're recommending is just goal setting and review with the archbishop. So that dialogue and encounter, um, that's something that I think our uh, participants would have craved if they didn't, if they reported that they didn't have that. Um, as opposed to, you know, a form to fill out or a checklist or, or something like that. Um, so uh, that time with the Archbishop is really important. Um, regarding induction, and we, we identified induction and mentoring as a real need. Um, we recommend a two-year induction process. And in one aspect, that the process is internal within the chancery and that orients the new superintendent to the culture um, and reality of working within the chancery. Uh, for, for many new superintendents, they've never had that experience before. They've worked in schools and, and were perhaps school leaders and, and understand how decisions are made in a school. But it's very different in a, in a chancery um, for, for many of the reasons that, that I mentioned earlier and that, that Tim mentioned too. So um, orientation to that, that culture of how things get done in the chancery, we think is really important. And not just that, but, but who's responsible for what so that, um, so that new superintendents will know how they fit into the organizational structure of that chancery setting. And then to Tim's point about um, faith, crisis and faith, um, we, we recommend ongoing spiritual support in the chancery. So things like um, retreats and spiritual direction, um, these are really important, powerful tools that can help superintendents to grow in their faith personally and professionally um, in a setting and, and in a role in a ministry where faith is absolutely essential um, so uh, we we can't we can't give what we don't have that's kind of the phrase right so um, so we don't want um, superintendents to lose that we can't give what we lose either I guess so authenticity and alignment between the chancery's interpersonal norms and cost gospel values that's all really important too so not just programs and spiritual direction and retreats but um, you know, the way people treat each other um, is certainly an indicator of um, the spiritual health of the organization and whether that would build someone up or, or tear someone down in terms of their faith life. So does that help, Kevin? Yes, absolutely. And so um, 
kind of talking about induction, T- Tim, uh, what about prepping superintendents um, maybe prior to taking that role? Most come from, you know, school leadership. Um, what do you find uh, in that regard? Well, this is interesting because I'm talking to you as a person from higher education, and uh, that has probably, that's been one of the traditional ways that we've prepared superintendents. Uh, licensure oftentimes re- requires degrees and, and things like that. But people who we interviewed said that we need an overhaul of how we prepare people. Um, I would say that there, what we have heard is there's not as much of a common route. You had mentioned that people come from the schools and we've heard this is more anecdotal at this point, but we heard that that's not even as true as it, it may have once been. So looking at where are the superintendents coming from and how do we need to meet the needs of the aspiring superintendents? So for example, we hear there are more and more people with law degrees or MBAs or, or something like that. So I would say that people are looking for an overhaul and to move away in its or building on what we've done traditionally. Uh, the things that we would suggest based on the people we talk to, some sort of executive internship working alongside or underneath uh, an expert superintendent or an effective one. Mentoring comes up over and over again. Uh, this could be someone in the chancery, someone, another superintendent, in another diocese. Uh, it could deal with an issue like how do you how do you navigate the politics of the, the main office of the diocese? So that takes some mentoring uh, that is not necessarily going to come out of coursework. Professional networks like uh, NCEA and beyond NCEA, just other professional networks so that people get out of their own diocese and uh, see how things are done and learn from those successes and failures of other people. Um, We would say that some special attention needs to be given to women for all of these things. And you might be aware of things that are occurring, but in the people we interviewed, that did not come up. So I think a renewed uh, interest in recruiting and preparing and retaining women. And finally, the position and Catholic education have changed so much that one person we interviewed said, we need to prepare people as if they are leaders of startup organizations and that the traditional way we prepare people may not do that. So we have to look at the nature of the job, the nature of where people are coming from, And even the last thing I would say, someone mentioned in terms of renewal, whether it be faith or professional, the idea of maybe a sabbatical where, uh, you know, people can go away, learn new things and renew themselves. Great. Um, And Ron, how about um, how about findings around standards? Any recommendations in terms of uh, in terms of that? Sure. Uh, Thanks, Kevin. The. You know, there's a, there's a lot to kind of dig into with this study and to um, take the time making the the abstract a little more more concrete. But but at the end of the day, we we really believe that that change is possible, um, and the 
the problems that we talked about today um, that we can fix them. So, so we think change can happen. And the uh, Catholic School Standards Project, the NESBACs, kind of show, show us that that change can happen, that those national standards have been used um, for, for schools and, and systems nationally um, to, to improve things to the point that they're really being referenced now in various uh, school accreditation processes and state to state and region to region. So, um, so we know that that, that works. Um, and our goal is to, to try to try to replicate some of that process in developing a, a good, um, rich set of national standards and benchmarks that can provide that, that structure and scaffolding for chanceries to be able to set up um, effective processes and develop that organizational culture um, that will lead um, to addressing many of the issues that we talked about here, but ultimately to keep good superintendents in the position longer so that um, they, can, they can gain more traction on the things that it is that they are trying to accomplish. Um, so good science is about engaging the unknown um, and it's, we want to we want to tackle this and Creighton is really looking forward to, to leading this project to engage essential stakeholders such as bishops, archbishops, um, superintendents from various parts of the country, various types of um, dioceses and archdioceses and others with the experience necessary to develop some good concrete scaffolding for those best practices and chanceries as they relate to um, systemic Catholic school leadership. That's great. That's going to be exciting. And I know uh, uh, we'd be excited to see that as well at NCEA. Tim, just one quick follow-up on, um, you mentioned it was anecdotal, but maybe uh, individuals coming to the position of superintendent with law degrees or MBAs. Do you know approximately, and I don't know if you have this at the top of your head, but how many of the 10, um, kind of what their background was, were they what you'd say is uh, more traditionally prepared in terms of maybe a graduate program, something like that, um, for the superintendent position? Yes, I'm just trying to think of the 10 we interviewed. I would say that, yes, of those 10, they went through a traditional route. I knew that I know that one of them uh, has a law degree. Yeah. But other than that, it was traditional. I guess the follow up too is you you mentioned um, someone made a comment about leaders maybe of a startup. um, And I I would define that almost as an entrepreneurial type mindset, which we hear in Catholic schools sometimes too, about with all the things going on, you have to almost be like a small business startup. Um, That would maybe necessitate looking at I don't know, business schools or outside of maybe the traditional vehicles. And, and obviously you don't have research on this yet, but is that something, because we hear this sometimes from bishops and from dioceses about pursuing people outside of kind of the Catholic school framework uh, for those positions of leadership. I think that, that that's a debate um, that we'll continue to have. Some people feel strongly that people should come up through the system. Um, and then others feel that much could be gained from by bringing people with other kinds of background. Um, I would say regardless of 
where they come from, that we need to begin preparing people to be innovators and entrepreneurs. That's that's really the main point. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, Tim, Ron, uh, thank you so much um, for being with us today to talk about this. Um, most important thanks go to your work on the study. I think it's um, it's fascinating. I know people are very interested in it. Um, I know you're presenting at CLS. How can people get access to this study now? Is there a publishing kind of uh, steps that you're going to be taking with it? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll field that. Um, yes, we the we've already written the article and we're in the process of submitting uh, to a journal or two. Wonderful. Yes, it'll be available in written form. Wonderful. And the audience for this, Ron, maybe you can take this. Are you thinking the audience is primarily existing superintendents? Is it bishops, diocesan offices? Yeah, for, for uh, CLS, uh, certainly, um, certainly superintendents and um, others who have leadership roles in the, the Catholic schools office, I think we, they would have a lot to gain from attending the uh, presentation. We did provide uh, materials uh, with the um, recording that we just recorded the presentation um, a few days ago or last week or something. I don't know. It's all a blur right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> COVID time. Yeah, right. A lot of Zoom meetings. But, um, but uh, among the materials is a, a two-page summary of our findings. Um, and our hope is that anyone who, who attends our presentation um, on demand, uh, that they'll, they'll take those findings and share them with uh, people of influence and the chanceries in which they work um, and to really start getting the conversation going on the local level about how change can happen. We also um, are looking forward to engaging with those who attend our presentation remotely because we've uh, also incorporated some interactive materials on um, using Google Docs. So uh, anyone who attends and engages uh, will, will still have the opportunity to have some some back and forth with um, Tim and with me and with Father Tom Simons, who was the other investigator for this uh, study that will be able to engage with them all in an asynchronous way on, on Google Docs. So. Um, we encourage anyone who views our presentation to engage in that aspect as well. Terrific. Well, we're all very much looking forward to it. Uh, thank you for recording that. And um, I know uh, everyone will be very excited to see it. So, Tim and Ron, uh, thanks again for your time and for your research. Uh, we're blessed by it. Uh, and I know uh, Catholic schools across the country and Catholic dioceses will benefit tremendously from it. So thank, thanks to you both. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks again. This is a NCEA podcast. Thanks so much for joining us this week. This is Kevin Baxter, and we will see you next time. God bless. Bye.